Cooperative Journal, where I spotlight the stories of how people are collectivizing to meet their needs locally and globally beyond the extractive economic system. What would it look like if we collectively designed decentralized, democratized, distributed, and diversified energy systems? People Power Solar is a California-based cooperative that invests in community-led projects to create alternatives to PG&E, which is their largest energy company in California, and other private utilities. They are working to ensure that power can be accessed by all without compromising the health and safety of any community. I speak with worker owners Hannah and Crystal about the necessity to transition from privatized energy to more localized and cooperative structures. They share why our dominant energy sector is inefficient, overpriced, and unreliable, framing energy as a verb so it is what we are and create, the community-led projects they support like mobile solar power, how they are shifting from just focusing on pooling financial resources for community energy to deepening in relationships and dialogue around what energy is. And more that brings awareness to why we should and how we could build community-controlled renewable energy. So hello, Crystal and Hannah. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so grateful that you all decided to let me interview you. It's been a few months since I posted an episode and I really just want to be more intentional with the content that I'm putting out and yeah, and also showing some parts of the solidarity economy that I haven't so much in the past and energy is one of them that I haven't touched on. So I would love to learn about what is People Power Solar Cooperative and what inspired its development? Yeah, I'm happy to answer that. So this is Crystal. Um, I'm part of the co-founding team for People Power Solar Cooperative, which by the way, actually came from many, many years of effort to democratize energy in the state of California. So I would say that I think for everyone who's listening, probably are very well aware of environmental injustice. And so for as much as we're trying to shut down and stop the bad, what does building the new look like? It's a question that we've been thinking about quite a long time, we as in all of us in the movement. And of course, in the mass media, we talk about renewable energy. But in the frontline communities, many people know we need community-controlled renewable energy. So then we can actually build a legacy for our future generation instead of just being a target for continuous extraction by corporations. And so what had been coming from that is many years of advocacy in the California energy policy end to try to push for um, community-owned solar projects and community-owned solar programs. For those who don't know, anything related to energy when it comes to policy is basically determined by the policy. So what does the government allow, what kind of energy projects can be done at scale is all around advocacy. 
And the Sustainable Economies Law Center had been advocating around community ownership of energy started in 2014, working with groups like SEHA, California Alliance for Environmental Justice, and then their members to really look at how can we actually develop and design programs and proceedings to make that happen. But then going down through that process, there are many, many hours from the advocates end to try to push for real community determination in these design. That's when we started to realize by we people who are working in this started to realize that no matter what comes out of it, it's always going to be something that's going to benefit for-profit entities. So like for-profit developers to build more projects in the community or large law firms who are going to be required to sign the paper that says this community owned energy is actually legally ready to run like a utility to be safe for everyone. So ultimately it's just another scheme to make rich people richer, the people who already have the wealth wealthier. And there's just no way for the policymakers to really believe that communities can do it. They're all coming in from the framework that the only infrastructure and entity you can trust is the large investor owned utilities like PG&E. So any program is all going to be dependent on these large utilities. And so no matter what kind of community empowerment design advocates we're trying to advocate for, it just doesn't go anywhere because it's not speaking to the language and, and meeting the assumptions that these policymakers have. So the Sustainable Economies Law Center basically decided to say, we're not gonna wait for policymakers to understand that communities can develop and control our energy asset. We're just gonna make it happen. And that was in 2015 when they had passed a law um, or just advocated enough to get California to pass a law to get cooperatives to um, increase their maximum share amount an individual can have within the cooperative. So it used to be one person can purchase a share up to $350 a person in a cooperative. They increase it up to $1,000 so that now people can pull more money together. You think about this, $1,000 between 20 people, you get $20,000 versus $350 within 20 people, you don't get a whole lot. $20,000, you can do a lot now, such as building an energy infrastructure that's actually sh shared by all of us and the financial benefit could sh be shared cooperatively among the community as opposed to just going to the homeowner or the rich people who get to own the big companies like Sunrun and Tesla. So we started with this innovative idea of using cooperative entity as a way to share energy, even though our policymakers do not allow us to buy electricity from other people, except for large utilities or the public entity just yet. So that's how we started. And, but then really quickly, we learned a whole lot. And I'm happy to pause there because we're gonna dive deeper into what we learned a whole lot about here. Yes, thank you for that. And also pointing out that renewable energy alone is an amazing step, but really having the community control their energy is where we need to be. And so for people that are not aware, what is wrong with our privatized energy sector? And I watched a video where you explained the IOU 
inefficient, overpriced, and unavailable. So maybe you can touch on that as well, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is a lot <laughs> that is wrong if we go all the way back 100 years to the founding of these utility monopolies that manage and control our energy systems today. Um, so it does feel worth naming that our energy system is still um, the extraction of the life and labor of living systems, so land, water, um, all of the different things that are referred to today as resources, um, and that those lands and waters were stolen, and that that is still um, what is used today to generate power um, and send it oftentimes in California, hundreds of miles um, to our communities. And so we don't know where it comes from or feel connected to where it comes from. Um, and we pay for it. And we pay for the cost of the electricity. We pay for the cost to our health. Um, and we don't really see the benefits of that other than um, the short-term power that we use every day. And at this point in history don't really realize um, what the impact of that is. And so just like um, the majority of, if not all of the corporations and private entities in the extractive economy, our utilities exist for the enclosure of wealth and power. Um, and they do that both from a land and water perspective, um, also fuels perspective, but also just the money perspective. You think about the amount of money that the CEO of PG&E <laughs> made this year, that is a single person making millions of dollars in a year, while the rest of us, um, for the most part, just can't even afford to pay the bills, or a large majority of people can't, and they just keep going up and up, um, as the environmental and health impacts also just keep going up and up. So there's definitely a lot to say, but I think in summary, those are some of the the key points of why PG&E and other private utilities just are not, they don't exist to serve us in the ways that we really need them to. And I also like to add, um, especially for those people who are, who are familiar with the just transition framework, to just look at when we're talking about the solution and moving away from the extractive economy, it's really important to recognize the worldview is being upheld by consumerism and colonial mindset. And I think it's important to recognize that because as long as we are being treated as just a consumer, we're not going to get ourselves liberated. And um, renewable energy or fossil fuel, as long as we're consumer, is going to be the same extraction. And so the, the work for just transition is to liberate ourselves out of that mindset and really recognize ourselves as loving human beings who can care for each other and how we can come together to have beautiful solution and be who we are. Ultimately is about the people and not about the toys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to also have a loving relationship with the land, because those are the hidden costs that we don't really hear about when we're thinking about the way we get our energy from fossil fuels. And you all also mentioned PG&E, which I did not know the extent 
of what had been going on in the past few years in California related to the wildfires. I was infuriated reading all that I learned in, I'll just throw out some things, some statistics. So due to the PG&E electric lines, there were 31 wildfires in California, killing 113 people, burning nearly 1.5 million acres of land, and destroying almost 24,000 structures. And they ended up with 85 felonies, yet they are still in business somehow. I'm also like, why aren't people just refusing to pay their bills? Why isn't there a strike against PG&E? So maybe you all can talk a little bit about what's going on with PG&E as well. And why it's such an urgency to create these localized solutions. Yeah, I think I just want to quickly jump in about the wildfires in particular, because this is the part of a just transition to a decentralized, democratized, distributed, and diverse energy system that we can see so clearly um, with the PG&E energy system. And um, you named fossil fuels, and I think it's really important to name in the state of California that uh, the centralized energy system also means dams and damming of our rivers and water systems. And that the specific um, power system that started both the Dixie Fire, which burned nearly a million acres last year, and the Camp Fire, which killed 85 people, was both sparked by one centralized system um, that is primarily using um, rivers and damming of those rivers, um, and it is nearly 100 years old, <laughs> or just over 100 years old, um, and it is a series of high voltage transmission lines that they overheat, they spark, it's happened time and time again, and that moving energy or electricity hundreds and hundreds of miles um, just isn't an efficient, this is where the IOU that you named earlier, it's inefficient, it's overpriced, and it's unreliable, um, and it's dangerous. Um, and yet that's the system that we um, are dependent upon today, because it allows them to maintain control no matter how far, no matter the cost. Um, and so when we think about a decentralized distributed system, that's where the people power piece of it comes in, in terms of having it localized in our communities, it is safer, and it's more reliable and as climate catastrophe intensifies, um, it's going to be something that we can depend on. Um, and that's obviously really important at all times. So I'll pause there and still jump in. Yeah, and to add on to what Hannah shared, it's really about dependency, right? Like for a little more than a hundred years, we have been told just pay your bills and don't worry about what happens at the back, back end. So you can do whatever you like. And so whatever happens in the back end is what we're feeling today, not from environmental injustice to climate catastrophe, to any sort of injustice that you're feeling is because we allow these utilities to do everything and we disengage. And it's not, I, I'm not saying we allow it as a way that is our fault I'm saying it as a way that's part of the living system that they designed a hundred years ago 
that they're going to create this giant thing that's going to quote unquote support us and provide what they would call affordable, safe and reliable energy system for the people. And then draw out some area that's a sacrifice zone and then designate it so people's for the sacrifice zone so then the greater good would have the benefit. And for a really long time, we allow that to happen, not by choice for the most part, but, and, but really be, as a result of the narrative that we're being fed. And so slowly one by one, especially with energy being designed in such a complicated way, and we depend on it more and more because of our increased consumption, we start to believe, yeah, only the smart people could determine energy infrastructure for me, for us. And that generally happens to be older white men. And so when we're talking about transformation of our system, it's more than just how do we get more women and people of color to be at the table, but it's about how do we actually tear the table down so we can bring it back to the communities so we can rely on ourselves. Right now what we're feeling is that these big corporations is no longer someone that we can depend on. In fact, not only that, only that the government entity who's supposed to be representing us also are not some, someone that we can depend on anymore. So how can we, the community, depend on, on ourselves we can create an alternative living system beyond this giant extractive machine that we're all kind of feeding into because of the narrative that we're being fed to. And so what are some things that we could do to really remember our relationship with energy the way our ancestors did so that we can really relate energy within my household, my neighborhood, better so that we can actually design an alternative that actually works for us instead of just creating another extraction because it feels so foreign for us and that's the only way to do it. And what's exciting is that it's only been going on for a little more than a hundred years. That's three generations. And we can, if we start right now, we can get out of this. Absolutely. Yes, it's, really like in your name says it's about reminding people of their power and hannah the first time we spoke you were talking about how you all are framing energy as a verb which i think really speaks to this too and it reminds me that energy isn't something that's outside of us it's literally us it's what we create and it becomes even stronger when we collectivize so maybe you can share a little bit more about your framing of energy as a verb. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, so essentially what Crystal was saying earlier in terms of we have been positioned as consumers, and I think I wanted to elaborate too, because it's not just something that it's a narrative, but so many of us were just born into this energy system. It's not something like cell phones we saw kind of appear in our lifetimes and now we use all the time like from the day that we came into this world unless you're over a hundred this is just what it is and so actually reimagining and challenging that can be really hard when we're just told to pay a bill every month and that actually is this 
structure that has turned energy into a noun that can be commoditized, that can say that's a thing that I can use. And then whatever happens, happens. I don't really know where it came from, but I turned my light on or I made dinner and that's fine. And I'll just pay for that thing. And that allows this perpetuation of the life and labor of living systems to be removed from our connection to that life force energy that we are using on a day-to-day basis. And so I do want to just name too that this was very much inspired by um, an interview with a man who I will find the name of um, and send it to you afterwards, Ebony, but he was talking about how in his indigenous language, um, nouns really don't exist. (laughs) Everything is a verb because it's inherently recognizing the life in everything. And so when I was thinking about that, I was thinking, okay, well, energy is neither created nor destroyed. It simply changes form and therefore it's always moving and it's, it's coming from these different living systems, whether that's the waters that are now the reservoir that is Lake Almanor or fossil fuels that have been moving through the earth until they are extracted. It's all moving. It's all alive, even when we are using it. And so that's where the inspiration for energy as a verb came from. And then the intention with it is really to do exactly what you said, recognize that that energy is also within each of us. And it's up to us to make the changes needed to create a regenerative uh, energy system that is really rooted in reciprocity. It's not just extract, extract and use and pay. It's actually recognizing, okay, this energy came from this water and I want to thank the water for being here because in California, it's less and less so that that's the case that we have the opportunity to thank the water um, for being here or whatever it is that that is recognizing the inherent life um, that that energy is giving us. I love that so much. The life force energy within everything. I think when people are disconnected from that life force energy, it's so much easier to take from it and to feel like it's something that we have power over rather than having power within. And yeah, I just, I love that framing because if we saw everything as a source of life, we would want to protect it because there's always the argument on either side of the idea of protecting life. But when we don't see earth as a living thing or even our energy because it all feels so mechanized then we don't feel the need to protect that and we also don't see it as this circular system too that like you said energy is always transforming and so crystal i know you also lead the energy democracy project can you explain what that is and how people power solar intersects with that oh yeah definitely so um As one can imagine, um, and also because of the way policy works, when it comes to energy, it's very place-based. And so, especially in a place like United States, that our energy laws are very much divided based on the state and the local jurisdiction, to make any changes in our energy, you have to have it happen every single place for it to work. 
because you can't just change one thing and then suddenly everything will come together when our entire law is built based on the colonial mindset. And energy democracy is a process to achieve energy justice and energy justice is liberation of the people. So if we're trying to make it liberation of the people happen based off of a framework, the law that is built upon colonialism, you can't do it one by one. You can't do it top down. You have to do it together collectively. Um, we have one energy democracy organizer um, out in Highland Park, Michigan, Jackson Kropel, who's the founder of Solidarity, had said very well that in order for energy democracy to be achieved anywhere, it has to be achieved everywhere. And so close to 40 different energy democracy organizations, including People Power Solar Cooperative and Solidarity, um, came together and decided that we need to build shared resources and shared strategy because there is nobody out there really looking at the energy system in the lens of race and equity. And especially given energy has been designed in such a complicated way, a lot of community-based organizations end up kind of fell into the situation of doing energy justice work. It's not because they care about carbon or electricity, they simply got into it because of the survival of their community. And then to ask them to have input on something as complicated as energy tends to create this gaslighting dynamic where, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You can't have this happen. You can, you have to rely on big corporation. You can't do it. Communities can control things. So very quickly, a lot of communities start to lose their projects or lose their vision or lose their policy because who's, who has the know-how to write everything? The old white male who have been upholding the system. I'm not saying this is to say that all old white male are bad people, but this is the construct that we're then leading into it. And so through the, um, the publishing of the book, Energy Democracy, Advancing Equity and Clean Energy Solutions, which I'm holding right now, just so you can see it, this orange book written by 10 different communities across the country, um, talking about 10 different strategies for energy democracy, because it's more than just building community owned solar project. It's about changing the law. So you can allow communities who's been disproportionately impacted by environmental injustice to get the resources needed to invest into their community. It's about ways to um, understand people's rights so that we can advocate for energy as a human right and lots of different strategies in there and people sort of realize oh my goodness I don't have to rely on the uh, the big firms to do my project we can rely on each other and we can build that future that we see as possible that will truly take care of us instead of saying no you always have to have someone sacrificing for something so the energy democracy project is basically a collaboration of energy democracy organizations coming from very different geographic and racial background and, and economic background, coming together to build that future, navigating the contradictions of our, our geopolitical um, philosophy to technical understanding, all the way to even financing. It's a bunch of contradictions that we have to navigate through, but it's about building narrative power. So then people understand that a solution to our crisis right now, whatever you want to call it, climate change, racism, white supremacy, um, income inequality, colonization, all of this is based on 
our ability to dream and remember our relationship with the land the way our ancestors did. And we could do it by building shared narrative and shared resources. Mm. And we do it by working with each other, not because someone told us this is how you do it right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, there's so many elements to creating energy democracy in a community. And I know that you all had your own barriers with technical, financial, and um, legality issues when trying to build this in California and make it accessible. And so I'd love for you to touch on that because I feel like people are probably like, well, how do I even begin with something like this? Yeah, so I'll go back to continuing the story from like, okay, now we prove that communities can control renewable energy assets as a cooperative, now what? Um, Very quickly, we realized, in fact, a number of our members ask, what does ownership even mean? Like, okay, now that I own this energy system on other people's roof, it's not on mine, what does that mean to me? Sure, I get 3% dividend, what does that mean? And then also another question, are you really owning and controlling something if you don't even know what it is? So what exactly is energy? And how can we actually create a pathway of engagement where people can come together and build energy projects and really actively participate in the designing of a system that works for us when we have so many other things that we have to deal with And we very quickly realized that we need to learn how to talk about energy. And we have to remember our relationship with energy. And um, when we think about energy, most of us, myself included, for a really long time, because we're born into this way of thinking, we think about solar panels, we think about batteries, we think about electric vehicle, we think about oil and gas. We think about this thing that we pull from the wall We think about our relationship with with it, which a lot of us is paying bills, but we forgot the energy that is within us in front of us all the time, including every single moment we're taking a breath. We are having relationship with the plants that created oxygen and the sun and the moon that rises from the east and sets in the west and moves across south south to north based on the season. And that's a relationship with the soil, with our ancestors, with all things in life. And it's happening to us unconsciously every single moment we're breathing. And so to remember that relationship, to remember that we're having this spiralic relationship, the interconnectedness that we have with life is what we need to remember in order to talk about what energy systems should look like. Otherwise, we're just going to continue what Hannah mentioned, the commodification of life and say, okay, at least it's cleaner. Um, as Gopal Dayanani, uh, who was one of the founders of Movement Generation had said, energy democracy is not just about where you get the energy from. It's about how you relate to it, how you use it and how we govern it. And so we have to understand what energy is in order for us to dream a future that and design that future that would actually work for us so that we're not just perpetuating the same thing, wasting our time thinking that we're doing something. Um, So when it comes to building project, 
we have to have that understanding of where we came from so we can go towards the right place and then build the project, make the right um, trade-offs with each other, have conscious decision about what it means because there's no perfect way of doing things. The only way to do it is to do it together and make that conscious decision as a, as a collective, as a community, so then we can navigate the contradiction together. Mm. Mm. Yes. Wow. When you were talking about our connections to energy, I just started getting chills. Like, yes, it goes so deep. And people generally are just looking at what's in front of them and they're not thinking about the details of how it got to them. So, yeah, I think that's a really important thing to point out because then people are like oh yeah because when I feel like when we start to get to the essence of ourselves then we start to trigger that sense of remembering practices that our ancestors did um and so I know also in different states there's different barriers correct or is it fairly easier in certain states to create a community energy project and others there isn't I know also in rural areas energy uh, cooperative energy was common because it was a necessity there was no other option Um, but what about in urban environments why is it not so common there are there other barriers other than like the monopolization that are stopping people from doing it? Hmm. I wouldn't quite say that it's easier in the rural area than the urban area. I would say that there's unique challenges in everywhere because what we're talking about is in identifying that there's an oppression going on and trying to build an alternative narrative to understand that the power is in our hands, not in those decision makers' hands. Um, I think I would bring in the, the a quote from Harriet Tubman, where she said that I would have freed more if more people recognize that they are enslaved. I think it was a quote, right? And a lot of us who don't recognize that we are the target of extraction and our relationship with energy is problematic. And um, I think when we're talking about energy justice, it's about a paradigm shift in our relationship with the living system. The energy system determines our economic system. A lot of people might not understand that. And our energy system rests on the colonization of the land and water. So they're all so connected, yet our popular narrative had siloed them. So then we continued to get just get disconnected, confused, and distracted. So I think I would say, and I'm curious to hear what Hannah thinks, I personally feel like the biggest barrier is the narrative. Because if you don't understand what is possible within you, you will never try something. And we'll keep on putting our energy in the place of giving our power away to policymakers, politicians, to giving our power away to corporations who are designing the product. And that's equally hard all across the board, no matter if it's urban area of, or 
or a raw area. Yeah, I definitely think there are like political and structural barriers that we can name um, in the sense that California doesn't have community solar policy. And that was a big part of why self thought that um, people power could establish that because other states have it. So we can do it in California. And if we just have the people power behind showing them that that's what we want, the policymakers will write those policies to support the people. And as we learned, that's not actually what the intention of the policymakers is. And so there are policies in other states that make it easier um, in air quotes <laughs> to do community solar policy. Um, but what I think Crystal's really speaking to is that if there aren't the communities and the people who are rooted and invested in making those energy systems equitable, just, uh, affordable, accessible, all of the things that need um, to exist in order for these energy systems to truly serve our communities, then it's just kind of a copycat of the same structure, just with a different name. Just like even rural cooperatives, a lot of them were set up a long time ago for exactly the reasons that you named, which is that as out of necessity, what they didn't have large centralized energy infrastructure to serve them, so they organized to do it. But over time, those two have been co-opted. And what at least we hear, um, and I know Crystal has relationships and could probably speak to this more, but that they very much model the same top-down structure where even though there are people who are supposed to be representing the people, the reality is they're not, unfortunately, at this time. And so they say, you know, we're a cooperative and we're doing the right thing, but it's just kind of an antiquated structure that was created a long time ago. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I feel that a lot of the times, instead of trying to shift the policy, we need to shift the mindsets of the people first, which I think inevitably will shift the policy because people are gaining their own autonomy and they're creating solutions themselves. And then eventually, you know, we are the ones that are creating the system. So if we start to create our own, then the dominant one eventually follow suit. And so I want to get more into the structure of People Power Solar Cooperative. So who are the members? I know you all have a few different types of members. I believe it's anchor, subscriber, and investor. Um, and then what are the benefits of being a member? Maybe it would be helpful to actually first um, talk. So we just we recently went through a transition within the cooperative. We started out with this innovative model that anyone can come together, join the cooperative, and then pull resources to build cooperatively owned projects on people's roofs. And then we realized that as long as people's relationship with energy is a commodified one and a, and, and a passive one, where people just sit back and wait for the installer to come to my roof and put solar on my roof or sit back and wait for my money to do its work as opposed to putting in the labor to change the landscape. Because right now, our policy, just like our system of racism, it's the same thing, right? Is racist, it's kind of like a river. 
And what we're trying to do with the cooperative is to move against racism. We have to actively row the barrel that we're on in the river. So we have to like balance ourselves in this barrel while rowing against the current. And that's a lot of labor that goes in there. So how do we do it in a way that gets people to understand why that labor is needed and how to hold hands with each other so we can balance ourselves on this barrel while rowing the opposite direction of the current and the current shows up to be the narrative and also money. Where is the incentive investing into? The money tends to go towards people with large taxable, taxable liability, which is wealthy people, or groups that are hiring larger um, people with pre-existing wealth you have to partner with those people in order to build these projects. So then when we're talking about building self-determination, communities taking care of our own selves, we don't get the incentives and benefits that's being designed by our system. We have to pour in even more. Maybe we can get grant money, give capital, but raising these things take labor. And then advocating this vision against the narrative of the dominant culture takes labor. So we realized that while we can build more projects at the cooperative level through these different roles um, and membership roles, we're not actually building power if we don't talk about our real relationship with energy. So um, we do have different roles in like, in terms of anchor members, um, general members, subscriber members, and then the worker members, which is Hannah and myself right now but our engagement is a lot more difficult, uh, sorry, a lot more different and focusing a lot more on how we can build power together. And I can let Hannah say more about how we're building power through that engagement. Yeah, I think to summarize too, what some of those barriers were, what we found um, was that given our dividend model, it was easier for folks to approach people power as an investment that could be passive that they would make money on without actually investing um, the labor really in building um, power. And so we, we, we saw that as um, a barrier to being able to, to move things forward because we had created a structure in which people um, were just looking at it as a passive investment, which modeled Wall Street, and we didn't want to be doing that. I think that Folks also looked at us as like what I referred to a few times as the good sun run. Like we can just go and they'll install the solar for me and I'll be giving dividends back to the community and that'll be great. And then I won't have to really worry about it and I'll, I'll save on my monthly bill. And that's also not what we were doing. And so we wanted to look at it as how can we make energy more accessible in order to um, yeah, democratize it and and really change the system in the ways that we've been talking about. So the ways that we're doing that right now um, are twofold. Um, the first is we, we heard from our members um, loud and clear this spring during our, our listening sessions during the transition that resilience is on everybody's minds. And that's really in response to the wildfire seasons, that's in response to the power shutoffs occurring. And so in the long term, we wanna be thinking about, well, what does building resilience look like? I think a word we hear a lot is resilience hubs. Um, 
And those take a lot of resources as well from land, buildings, a lot of money because the energy technologies are not cheap. Um, there's the political barriers that PG&E has created because they want to be a monopoly utility. They don't want us creating our own power. Um, and so there's just a lot of barriers that take time. And so we want to be investing in the short term um, in relationships and building trust um, because part of a transition can, can be confusing. And because we are changing our model or at least transitioning from the commons model that um, was based on the different policies that exist today, we're just grounding ourselves in, okay, the question you asked, like our members, who are they, what do they want? Um, and how can we create opportunities to come together and talk about that vision together in the short term, um, while also reacting to the realities of the climate catastrophe and the centralized energy system failing us and leading to power shutoffs and days where the wildfires make it so that it's not safe to go outside and we still need power. So we're um, hosting events um, this season where it's gonna be pancakes in the park is what it's called. And we're gonna actually have like batteries and solar and off-grid um, technologies powering um, induction cook stoves. And we'll make some pancakes and we'll talk about um, what that looks like in terms of okay, this can also power your home during a shutoff and that can be really important. And so the People Power Battery Collective is gonna have our batteries there and you can charge your phone or learn learn what it looks like to actually have something like that power your home during a shutoff. Um, and then as we've um, briefly discussed um, elsewhere, we're gonna have art um, installations or activities where folks can see what the energy system looks like today, um, kind of like we were talking about earlier, and then engage in reimagining what, what that looks like for their community, whether it's their block or it's all of Oakland. We need to be thinking about both um, because if we're truly, because we are truly committed to dismantling the centralized energy system that doesn't serve us, we have to recognize that by disconnecting that, we too would be disconnected. And so we have to be prepared to govern so we can be prepared to win as movement generation says. Um, and so that takes relationships and that takes trust. And so as one of our members said, the only thing we should be scaling right now is trust. And so we're coming together to do that um, and reimagine our energy systems together. And, and I also would like to add to that being um, the just escape me i just blanked i wanted to add one thing and somehow i'm forgetting what is it um right templates so i wanted to add to this with an imagination for everyone like imagine if we all get to have a conversation with ourselves, with our households, with our neighborhood, to really talk about what is it that we need to take care of ourselves to live the fullest. So we're not just surviving, but thriving. So what Hannah is describing there is basically testing out some templates where neighborhoods can start to take on and really talk about what energy is and what, how we can design the energy system to be we have to remember that we are the only experts in our own lives. So we cannot give that to anyone else. And 
how can we recognize that and step in with confidence and say, I want my life to look at this and you can't tell me whether I can have clean air and clean water to breathe or whether I want joy for myself and my future generation and space for love. I am the only one who can say that and let's build it together. And there's no way anyone can say that you don't know anything because I am my life and I know what I want in my life. So it's a lot of work is about healing and understanding how to have a conversation about something that's been designed to exclude us. And that's what we're engaging towards. Wow, I love that so much. And to give some context, from my understanding, the commons model was people investing 100 to $1,000, and then that would go into a community solar project, which they would then get dividends from. And now you all are shifting that, and instead of like making these distinctions of members, it's like we all are members, and we all need to also do this energetic healing from this system together as a collective and our resiliency is only as strong as our relationships so we really need to deepen in that and also our resiliency are the skills and assets that we have between each other and assets meaning who are we what what skills do we have to offer to our communities and i love that instead of just having someone come up and set up your solar, you're actually teaching people how to create their own energy in also a tangible way and integrating arts and culture. So it's like this full body energetic experience that people are having with each other. And it allows people again to, and I love that it's in a park. So it's also connecting to the energy of the earth and I think people want to have these conversations, especially ones that are like new to this and maybe need to have dialogue with other people to figure out like, okay, what is my role in this? What is our role? So I'm so excited to hear about how the pancakes in the park goes. And I hope that you all are documenting this and like you said, creating templates for other people to take this and start something in their own communities. Yes, yes, that's where it needs to start. And I know that you all also support projects that are led by the community, like the People Power Battery Collective that you mentioned, and the first community-owned solar project in California. So maybe you can talk a little bit about what those projects are. Yeah, wait, so the commons model, as Ebony, you mentioned, um, where people purchase shares and get to own solar projects, not on their roof and still get financial benefit from it, in many ways is to disconnect the ownership of land from the ownership of power. Um, is the concept. And so when you start to disconnect it, we start to have the freedom to really dream about what energy means to us. When we started testing that out um, and start building these projects, we wanted to encourage people to recognize that, hey, even though you don't get the electricity from these panels, you're getting some dividend money, but it doesn't stop there. 
we can then start to have um, better relationship with these solar systems so that you don't have to own a property to be able to be part of the energy transition. And what does the energy transition means to you too? You get to start dreaming about it. And there are ideas that people came up with around um, what if we could have like off-grid solar and battery system that powers a refrigerator and um, in urban farms. So they started to build a lot of, um, well, started to build some ideas around the fridge idea, like near the West Oakland encampment, we can supply some fresh fruits and vegetables to the unhoused community and really get people to understand energy is food. Energy is food justice. Or um, there's also another idea around like, what if we could have um, partner with urban farmers and have like shipping containers as refrigerators that's powered by like off-grid solar again. And then we can have these hubs for, for these fresh fruits and vegetables that can be shared within food deserts. Again, energy as food. And so dreaming about what things could look like um, if we can have off-grid power, it would be a lot easier to pop up things like in the Liberation Park with Black Cultural Zone is something that we also worked on and trying to figure out what that would look like. So people started to look at energy, at least the attempt was to get people to start looking at energy, not just as, oh yeah, I wanna add solar panel on our lot, but really like recognizing that, oh, with energy, with electricity, with this toy, I get to have access to music with the DJ booth. I get to have food, I get to, be able to dance i get to like send photos to my friends and or even live stream a live event because we're still doing hybrid events with covid there's just a lot of imagination with energy we can start to have these conversation of course with power shut off that was going on quite a lot in starting in 2020 community groups start to well we have some community members start to realize you know power shut off doesn't happen for everyone all at the same time. What if we can have a people powered electric grid moving electricity from houses that still have power to houses that don't and have this social infrastructure as a living system. And so then when this physical infrastructure is failing us because it's being mismanaged by these big corporations and controlled by shareholders, we can actually rely on ourselves. So we can start to see an alternative living system. The living system being the battery collective, the living system being these urban uh, network of urban farmers. Um, these ideas is really about us trying to reimagine what our relationship with energy really looks like. And then once people have enough capacity and labor, we make these projects happen and we practice it. And as Hannah said, if we're not ready to govern, we're not ready to win. So with these small projects, it's just a practice for us to build these alternative living system. So then when the system collapse, we have something that's truly taking care of us as we're building towards that future of a long-term system that we can rely on instead of constantly reacting to the attack of this top-down oppression. I really appreciate you explaining how the energy from the solar panel on the fridge is actually 
giving energy to the food, allowing the food that we need to be cooled, which the food is also giving us energy. And even this microphone that is being powered by energy, how it's giving me energy from this conversation with you all. Like the energy is just constantly flowing and we need energy in order to create more energy that we need to fuel ourselves. And I... I really liked the People Power Battery Collective as well because it's this mobile unit in a way that is able to meet the needs where they are. Um, And I didn't know about the shipping containers, but that as well. Shipping containers can be pretty mobile too, so those can shift to different farms maybe as well and can be something that is reused and low cost. And to start to close us out a little bit, um, we've been speaking a lot about narrative and the dominant narrative is that we need private utility companies to continue extracting fossil fuels in order to support our growing population and industries with energy but obviously you all are shifting this and so how do you envision this narrative being transformed into something else what will energy look like in the future yeah thanks for this question it is so key. And what you were talking about earlier in terms of different communities organizing to meet their own needs, I like to think of it as we are trying to create like this biophilic network that mimics the energy of our local and regionalized system by recognizing the inherent energy that already exists there um, that is powering these systems um, that we depend on today. And so I think that it looks like, well, I'll speak that to, for me and, and things that we have talked about at the cooperative, it, it looks like river, free flowing rivers full of fish. Um, it looks like a lot more healthy soil um, that we can all be growing food out of or the folks who wanna be growing food can be growing out of. Um, It looks like transportation systems that are very, very different. Um, That you don't need a car to get around on. Um, I think that It looks like communities who know each other and know what their needs are and are able to meet those needs Um, because they know what watersheds they're nested within. They know where their food is coming from um, and they know that they can do that together because they have each other and, and they have those things. It's going to look different for every community. (laughs) And I think that's what's really exciting is biodiversity is resilience. And the same applies to our energy systems and our communities. 
yeah, to everything Hannah says, and I'll sum it up in one sentence. I think energy looks like our partnership with the living system. Mm -hmm. Yes, and that we are the living system. And to just know, to just be in the know of the inequities that come from energy, to be in the know that, like we've talked about, we are energy and we have the power to continue cultivating that and that we need each other in order to do it. So thank you both so much. This has been given me a lot of energy <laughs> and I hope that everyone listening to this is also aware of their power as people energy is liberation we are thank you both so much for this thank you Ebony excited to be on the podcast this podcast runs off of labors of love. There are many ways you can be in reciprocity with us. If you are or know of a collective model that aligns, let's connect so we can spotlight the story. Share episodes, especially with your friends and family who aren't aware of collective models but are unfulfilled with its economy. You can also visit our Open Collective Foundation page in the show notes for ways to gift us in time or money. With your support, we can continue archiving the stories that aren't being elevated but are